If you have your Bibles, please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I'll read the chapter there, Rafter consider verse 7 to 10. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than, than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are under Sorry, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. 
the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Let us ask God for help. Father, we come to you asking for strength and help and power and the, illumi the illumining work of the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts this afternoon to receive your word with meekness. Lord, we have no strength of our own. We have no power of our own. You're the source of all good things. And we ask that you may strengthen us in such a way that we will know we have been strengthened. We pray that you may help me to be faithful to your word, to tremble at your truth as I speak to your people. And we pray that your people may be strengthened, built up in the faith, encouraged. Use your word, Lord, for the good of your people. And help us, Lord, as we worship you, that all may be done to the glory and honor of your name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This afternoon we shall consider verse 9, so chapter 9, verse 7 to 10. I've titled the sermon, Enjoy Life. And the first verse, verse 7, the preacher encourages us to enjoy eating and drinking. Then verse 8, he encourages us to enjoy all locations. Verse 9, he encourages us to enjoy our marriage. And then lastly, verse 10, he instructs us to enjoy our work. He's making a grand conclu conclusion. And in this chapter, he begins to teach us on a subject that rattles many people. The subject of death. He tells us that it doesn't matter whether you're saved or unsaved, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black or white, educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter your social status. All of us will face death. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. There are two appointments given to man. Every man has an appointment with death. Every man has an appointment with judgment. Death is unexpected. You cannot reschedule it. It is unexpected. Life is a vapor. It is here today, gone tomorrow. Every one of us will face death. Death is unpleasant. It is painful. But it will come. And in the preceding verses, from verse 7 to 10, he's going to tell us how to live in view of death. He's going to tell us to seize the opportunity while you have. To live while it lasts. We are not going to live forever, but you can enjoy while you can. Because someone may be tempted to think, if we are going to die, what is the point of living? 
what the preacher is going to say in spite of death enjoy eating and drinking in spite of death enjoy all locations in spite of death enjoy your marriage in spite of death enjoy your work there's always something to enjoy and not worry and not worry about the past and the future he's telling us live the present and as a young person you do not want to reach 80 years for you to be told that you needed to enjoy your life see god has given us ordinary gifts to bring joy to us and as much as death is certain that you can have big dreams and ambition which may never transpire that you're not in control of your life you do not know what can happen tomorrow he's telling us we can avoid the vain and the empty life by enjoying life he's already told us the unrivaled sovereignty of god that god rules the times and the seasons and the actions of men that the life of the righteous man the life of the wicked man are all in his hands and it's told us that there is a degree of comfort in knowing that god is sovereign but the knowledge of his sovereignty does not give you an advantage of knowing the future neither does it explain the past so that there is sovereignty there is mystery there is vanity man does not know he does not know whether his deeds can guarantee the smiling providence of god he can do the right thing but bitter providence can visit them he can do the wrong thing and smiling providence may visit them so we cannot know who god's friends are by the way that they are treated in this life no one can tell by the way you're treated by god whether you're an object of god's love or god's hatred there's an event that happens to all the righteous and the wicked that is death all of us have the same end we shall experience the same thing the same event death is universal it it will surely come it is surely certain and from our perspective or from the perspective of the preacher you cannot increase your risk of dying because there's no chance of doing anything else but dying when your time comes in spite of this man is still very evil that the certainty of death does not cause them to pause and to think about their eternal life life is precious death is certain but life should be enjoyed in the short time that you given here on earth although the enjoyment of life to come is marvelous 
heaven is indescribable it should not be used to undermine or minimize the beauties and the joy of this present life and so in light of the inevitable outcome which is death what shall we do how shall we live the preacher is committed here to realistically deal with death and not rob us of the joy of life. Our existence under the sun is vanity and striving after the wind. The preacher is not going to swindle us from this wonderful gift called life. And his wonderful counsel is enjoy life before you die. Let your life put death to shame. Let your life put sadness and gloom in verse 1 to 6 to shame. And it gives us a remedy from verse 7 to verse 10. It says in verse 7, Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do see this is a command and it's not so often that the preacher gives us imperatives it's not so often that he tells us what to do he's telling us the way to rob death of its gloom and sadness is to enjoy eating and drinking eat your food with happiness Because if you, if you understand the vanity, the futility of human existence, if you understand that everything is striving after the wind, then you are equipped to enjoy life. And in all these passages, you are instructed to be joyful. You must realize that God is at the center. Why should you enjoy eating and drinking in chapter 2? He tells us, it is because this activity comes from the hand of God. In chapter 3, why should you enjoy life? Because these activities are God's gifts to man. So doing good and enjoying life, we should as long as we live. In chapter 5, why should we enjoy life? Because God occupies our hearts with joy. And so it is good and fitting to find enjoyment in our work. And in this chapter, it tells us that we should enjoy our eating and drinking. Why? It tells us at the end of verse 7, because, because God has already approved of it. This is not to say that God approves of our sin. He's saying... Eating and drinking is divinely approved by God. The eating and drinking should not be guilty pleasures. They have approval of God. It is part of His gracious will. And so He says, Go. A sense of urgency. We are commanded to eat our bread to drink with a merry heart 
you see it's not so much the eating and the drinking that the preacher is concerned with it is the eating and the drinking with joy with a merry heart as we eat and drink we are charged to receive those pleasures with joy in our heart food is a gift from god enjoyment of food is a gift from god your appetite to eat is a gift from god someone is saying when you come to grip that you're going to ultimately die whether you live a healthy life whether you take your supplements whether you do exercise he says you should enjoy your life enjoying means that you do not abuse it you don't misuse it you don't overuse the gifts of god but you use it for his glory for his glory because god provides fuel for our earthly bodies enjoy your food when you eat don't complain that you have to eat the same food over and over again before you eat that food you should be grateful that you have something to give thanks for enjoy the food that god has given god has brought to your body god has given has given you instead of always finding excuses for not eating particular foods you should enjoy it you can eat it with thanksgiving you see the aspect of complaining the aspect of finding excuses about the gifts of life is contrary to the spirit of god it's because of, of the food that god has provided for you that you are here this afternoon it will be uncomfortable for you to be here while hungry and then he says drink your wine with a merry heart so the drinking of the wine is not prohibited in scripture what is prohibited is what drunkenness wine is a gift from god psalm 1 of verse 14 and 15 bible says you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth then he says and wine to gladden the heart of man oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart see wine here is connected with god's glory and celebration so the preacher is not advocating man to abuse god's gift he is advocating the use of god's gift for god's glory and for our enjoyment why because god has already approved eating and drinking it is divinely appointed by him meaning that you can live your life according to what is already accepted by god you have liberty and freedom to eat and drink Solomon says be happy in God there's nothing wrong 
with enjoying your meal, enjoying your drink. And then secondly, he says, verse 8, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. The second point, enjoy all occasions. You see here, the celebration continues. And the white garments and the oil on your head is an expression of joy. The Jews wore white garments on festive seasons as emblems of joy and innocence. And he's saying, be always pure, be always happy. The white color here signifies neatness, cleanliness, decency. And here it signifies that every day should be like a festival for you. Every day should be a day of rejoicing. Because God has given you a garment of praise. Even though life is hard, life is vain, every day should be celebrated. The whiteness may refer also to spotlessness, without sin. The garments of the saints are made white in the blood of Jesus Christ. And his righteousness is fine linen. We know that when we get to heaven, everything will be white to signify the eternal glory, the happiness of walking with God in white. This is opposed to a gloomy, melancholic behavior. It's calling us for a preparation for celebration. Let your life be filled with the Spirit. The oil there may symbolize the Holy Spirit at work. That your life may be full of good works, knowing that you have been accepted by God because of Christ. So make every day of your life special. Every day you wake up, you should say, this is a gift from God. I should enjoy it. I should be grateful that he has given me this day. I should be grateful that he has given me faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that happens today, everything that happens every day, is a special occasion because God has made it. And then thirdly, he says that you should enjoy your marriage. Verse 9, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Here's another imperative to enjoy life. And he's telling us marriage is an important ingredient in defying deaths. I'm not saying that if you're married, you cannot die. But I'm saying marriage is one of the ways that defies 
death's encroaching shadow upon us. Because it's through marriage that we have offsprings. Marriage is a gift from God. See, if there's no marriage, if there's no union between a man and a woman, then the human race will have long ceased to exist. And marriage defies death in that way. He says, with the wife, sorry, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. This is interesting, coming from a man who struggled with monogamy. There's someone who struggled to love one woman. It is the person writing this book. And at the end of this life, he contends that this is the way to go. Take pleasure in the blessing of marriage and family life. You can make an application here about the kind of friendships you have in other people's life. But the preacher mentions here marriage. The husbands are called to enjoy their wives. Enjoy your wife. Include spending time with her as a friend. Enjoying your wife means take time to do things with her. Things that you both enjoy. To enjoy your wife means to take her as a lover. And not only as a friend. Do you talk to her with words of affection? This is what it means to enjoy the wife of your youth. To enjoy your wife also means to value her as a person. Do you listen carefully to what she says? The husband is called to love their wife. The husbands are called to love their wives. It's a costly, sacrificial love which Christ died for us on the cross. You see, love and enjoyment, brethren, go together. If you love one another, then you will intentionally enjoy one another. If you're finding hard to love one another and to enjoy one another, you need to go to God for God's grace. You need to ask mercy that Jesus Christ has shown you on the cross. This is an instruction given to husbands in the Bible over and over again. And maybe as husbands we have a hard time hearing it, obeying it, that we should love our wives. The context here is for you to realize as well that this is a short-term calling. You're here only for a short period of time. Your marriage may not reach a hundred years. And he says, enjoy the life, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Vain, vain here doesn't mean meaningless. It means short, short life. All the days of your short life. Because this is Marriage is only given under the sun. The preacher here is not sentimental about marriage or anything in life. He's giving us a serious view of life that provides, view, that provides room for joy. He's also giving us a sober reality of life. That death is in inevitable. <coughs> that 
marriage should be our regular calling of our earthly existence. That a man should marry the woman he loves. You don't get married for you to get a hefty dowry. You don't get married for fame. You don't get married because others are married. You don't get married for your own gain. You marry for love. You enjoy life with the woman God has given you. For purpose, for companionship, for procreation, for intimacy. See, marriage ought to be the best delight in this short life. The preacher is telling us marriage brings sweetness to this short and vain life. And so there should be a sanctified indulgence into the joy of life. Marriage is short because it only happens under here under the sun. Those in heaven, those in hell do not experience marriage. The moment you die, you stop to find you, you stop you, you stop delighting in this gift of marriage. And so there is beauty in what God has ordained. Marriage is beautiful in the sight of God. So it's not good for man to be alone. God has given you a suitable person fit for you. She's your woman because she was taken out of you. Two souls brought together in the bonds of Christian love. And that bond should never be broken. You see, it's a covenant for life. Marriage was a creation ordinance from the beginning. It's a blessing for all human life. It's a basic unity unit of the society. It's, it's, it's a solemn binding agreement. And nothing but death should separate it. You see, God hates divorce. And he pronounces it as treachery. God hates it because marriage vows were taken. This was a sacred covenant for life. This is how God has ordained it. God has ordained it for the purpose of companionship. As I've said, it is not good for man to be alone, as we are told. You need companionship. You need someone you can share everything with. You need someone who can stand with you through thick and thin. You need someone whom you can tell everything when the going gets tough. You need intimacy. Someone to love you deeply and closely. You need a relationship that is built on love, respect, companionship. You see, a man's best friend should be their wife. They should grow, mature together because they are companions. And the basis of the most important relationship here on earth is the relationship between the husband and the wife. You see, it's more important than the relationship between the parent and the child. God did not put a parent and a child in the Garden of Eden. He put what? A husband and a wife. And so, a man shall leave his father and mother. A man shall be united with their wife as one flesh. And the purpose of marriage is procreation. 
marriage is there to bring forth children into the world. Why? Because God wants you to be fruitful. God wants you to multiply and fill the earth. And so, children are a heritage from the Lord. And unless the Lord builds the family, unless the Lord builds your marriage, all your efforts will be in vain. You see, Christ might be at the center. Christ might be at the heart of your marriage. And this is a preparation for our glory. Because everything about marriage will pass away. There's no marriage in heaven. But only the marriage of the Lamb. And so we are reminded here of a picture of what awaits us in heaven. And even though there's no marriage in heaven, we'll enter heaven with a crown on our heads. We shall lie in the bosom of Jesus for all ages. For everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, repented of their sins, love will be your portion. Joy will crown your head. You shall rest in Jesus and in the heart. You see, the joy that we have on this earth is only a test of the joy that is to come. Where God has promised us pleasure forevermore. The song, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, it says, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. No one else knows that. It's only those who have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that they know solid joys and lasting treasure. And then lastly, verse 10, it tells us to enjoy our work. He says, whatever you, sorry, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in sure to which you are going. And so he concludes with a positive approach to work. And he tells us to enjoy work because work is a gift from God. And you enjoy it as long as you can. Obviously, there will be a time when we will not be able to work while you're on earth. We may be old. We may, we may face uh, serious diseases. We may be weak. And he's it's it's telling us here in verse 10 what to do and how to do it. What to do whatever your hand finds to do. And how to do it do it with your might. He's telling us here that there's always something lying in your line of duty. There's something, you have a calling, you have a responsibility. There's something God has given you to do. And you can only do that in your place of your opportunity. And you should not neglect the things that God has brought before you. And he tells us how to do it. He says, with all your might. Not all, but he says, with your might. If I may ask you, are you offering 100% of your time to what God has put before you? 
then lastly he tells us the motivation for our work he says for there is no work he gives us the reason why we should work with our hands we should work with all our mind he tells us there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol see Sheol here is a place for the dead is not referring either to heaven or hell is the it is the place of the departed this is a hidden resting place outside of life is not denying the afterlife because all of us are going to die all of us are going to be judged what he's saying after the end of your earthly pleasures there'll be no work the one that is to come is the reward of all the work that we've done here on earth. And brethren, the most important work to do, if you're not a Christian, is to repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And beyond that work, whatever work God has given to you, you should work hard, sharing the gospel, living for Jesus Christ, loving your neighbors, you should do it while you have the chance. Jesus says in John chapter 9 verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. When no one... When night is coming when no one can work. And it is coming a day, a time when we will no longer work. And this is not to say that there is no joy in heavenly employment this is to say that you need to work you need to exert yourself while you have time because time is short and the right kind of work and enjoyment that you do here on earth is a preparation for eternity all these earthly pleasures and joy are glimpses of the another world to come and every day, every day, brethren, is one day closer to our eternal rest. Every good meal should be a reminder to you that you've been invited to the best and lasting banquet. Every occasion should signify a God-centered party and celebration that awaits us in heaven. So death should not scare us. The writer speaks of death to remind us that life is to be lived in the shadow of death. One must have this attitude. We should approach life with a positive, robust attitude. Because ultimately death will come. Death should not deflate us should not cast a shadow of our joys. And so we must enjoy life. This is God's will for you. This is the will of God in your life. That you enjoy your eating and drinking. You enjoy all occasions. You enjoy your marriage. You enjoy your work. Let us pray. Father, we Thank you for your word this afternoon. Thank you for reminding us that we ought to make the best out of life. Because life is like a vapor. We are here today.
gone tomorrow. We ask that you may help us to enjoy the gifts that you've given us, to realize that everything that we have has come from your hand. We look to you and we honor you and we glorify you, Lord, for these things we pray in Jesus' name.